are listening to Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is your host, Anne Levin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, an exploration of the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, featuring key people on the ground in Ukraine and around the world. I am Anne Levine, reporting from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Today, a tale of two diasporas. We start in Abu Dhabi, where Ukrainians and Russians living there encounter each other which has led to some problems. After that, we go to Uzbekistan, where Russians fleeing military enlistment have found solace in each other as well as with Ukrainian refugees. Yulia Timoshenko is a Ukrainian reporter, communications expert, and marketing executive. She studied at the Abu Dhabi and the New York City campuses of New York University, where she studied social and public policy. Her research led her to do ethnographic fieldwork in Abu Dhabi, which allowed her to observe Ukrainians there, as well as their relations with Russians. Here's Yulia. Ethnographic research was one of the classes that I got to do stuff in the field, which was incredibly rewarding. A lot of interviews and learn about the ethics of interviewing people, ethics of doing any kind of research and publishing. I was doing research on Ukrainian diaspora in Abu Dhabi, and I specifically was looking in the way in which like Ukrainian diaspora gets organized and the way they identify themselves as Ukrainians while living so far away, but still m- maintaining their culture, connection to homeland through different set of activities. Interesting that there's a Ukrainian diaspora in Abu Dhabi. When did Ukrainians start moving there and why? Well, that's a great question. I think Abu Dhabi is just overall very attractive to lots of people who want to find like a better paying jobs in different fields. For Ukrainian, the main job fields is hospitality. So like a lot of restaurant, hotel, administrative service work, but as well as more tech engineering and construction engineering specifically because Abu Dhabi is building very fast and intensely so they have a lot of engineering jobs there. So lots of Ukrainians who had great skills and had English they were moving there because it's actually easier visa-wise like if you get a job the employer basically handles your visa so you don't need to like worry as in some other countries and just overall salary and no income tax is very attractive. So that's why like a lot of people come there, not from only Ukraine, but from a bunch of other countries, including European and American. But Ukrainian diaspora is pretty big there. But it's still a young diaspora. Unlike United States or Canada, where you have a second generation, third generation you know, Ukrainians born into diaspora, I think in Abu Dhabi specifically, it's just not even first generation born, it's just people who moved there from Ukraine maybe 10 years ago, max. This is so interesting to me, Ukrainians in Abu Dhabi. The culture is so extraordinarily different 
and the landscape and the weather and everything. What was it like for you there? And what is it like for other Ukrainians? Is it pleasant? Uh, yeah, I mean, the culture is different, but the culture is incredibly rich and really cool. And I found it very rewarding to be able to live there and to learn a little bit more about the region because it's not something that you learn about when you're in Ukraine. So I think it was very enriching to just get to know a little bit more about the Arab cultures and traditions. Some of them are completely different, but I've learned to appreciate. I got rid of a lot of stereotypes about the region, and I just overall realized that we have actually way more in common than we think. I'm actually really glad that I was there out of all places. How many Ukrainians are there? I think like it really changed with the full-scale invasion, but... From my research, I think it's like maybe like a dozen thousands or it's a significant number for just a diaspora from a country that is that far. Because obviously they have big diasporas of other countries from the region, but Ukrainians as well as Russians love the UAE, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I wonder what it's like there. Yeah, lots of Russians move there, escaping from the consequences and responsibilities in their own home and trying to pretend they can just move on and forget about the war in itself. And they also feel more comfortable there because unlike in Europe where a lot of people are very openly supportive of Ukraine and like putting Ukrainian flags everywhere and like chanting stand with Ukraine. In the UAE, it's more low key. You cannot do like open protests on the street there. You can't be as openly political. As in Europe, they're very open. They feel more comfortable because of that, because they see less of like invisible support of Ukraine. But I have friends who stayed there in the UAE after graduation, and my friend was actually wearing a St. Javelin shirt with a Ukrainian coat of arms, a trident. And he had a Russian person coming in front of him and spitting in front of him and starting cursing him out, basically, in Russian. And he was like, yeah, this is the reality of living with so many Russians around. I haven't thought about that at all. For instance, in New York, where you've got a tremendous number of Ukrainians, but you've got a tremendous number of Russians, and Mm -hmm. that the tensions must be very high in those communities in the United States and in Canada. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I've followed you on Instagram. What are you working on now? What's your next big report? I use my social media pages to inform people about daily life in Ukraine during all of this to try to elevate Ukrainian voices to speak on a lot of these events from Ukrainian perspective, which I think is really lacking still in media in general, and just educate on the history of Ukraine-Russia relationship, because it really disappoints me that a lot of people think that this is a recent issue, like 2014 to now issue, and people who think that they usually either are not educated or are not interested in educating themselves on the broader historic relationship of Russian oppression in Ukraine and other countries and places around on like genocides that Russia has done, how many wars it has created in the region, and that has been completely ignored by the international community, and somehow not seeing that as a part of a bigger picture is a huge issue, which I think is a part of a lot of Western media reporting on, on the war in Ukraine. So just speaking about my own experience and speaking about just the deeper knowledge historically is always helpful. Yulia, where is the best place for someone to follow you and keep on top of what you're doing? Instagram is the platform where I spend the most time and efforts, but Twitter is also a great place and it's at 
Yulia as uh, Y U L I A underscore Timosha on Instagram T Y M O S H A and on Twitter it's without underscore. So those are the best platforms probably. I thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me and asking great questions. Thank you. Bye. You are listening to Ukraine 242. I am your host, Anne Levine, from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Today, a tale of two diasporas. We just heard from reporter and marketing expert Yulia Timoshenko about strained relations between Ukrainians and Russians living in Abu Dhabi. In contrast, a story comes to us from Uzbekistan, where Russian and Ukrainians have found each other for solace and mutual help. YouTube vlogger Konstantin Samoyev was a successful energy expert and businessman in Russia, where he lived with his family. He fled when the Russian mobilization was announced last fall to recruit Russians as soldiers for the invasion of Ukraine. He shares the story of journey to a new life, along with many others. Konstantin Samoylov, you are in Tashkent, the capital of Uzbekistan. How did you come to be there? I am a refugee. I fled Russia about eight months ago, escaping the mess that is currently going on in Russia and settling here in Tashkent, in Uzbekistan for now. So you were born and raised in Russia? I was born and raised in Russia, in the USSR. Then at age 20, I moved to the USA, spent there around nine years in Maine, mostly. But I lived a little bit in California, in New York City. And I returned to Russia in 2004. I worked for a Ukrainian company. Our HQ was in Odessa, Ukraine. So we had a large office in Kiev, and I ended up spending around a year in Ukraine supervising a manufacturing plant in Zaporozhye, that city that everyone is talking about right now. Right. You know. When and how did you choose to go to Tashkent, the capital of Uzbekistan? It happened on the 27th of September, 2022. It was really hard to leave because it seems like all Russian men wanted to leave Russia at that time. Uzbekistan is the country I'm familiar with. I lived here for two years doing business and I know this place. I have good memories. I have friends here and basically I figured that this is the place I want to at least wait for some time until I decide when I'm going to move next. The only airline ticket I could find was to a small town in Tajikistan, next to Afghanistan, called Hujan. I had never heard it in my life. I just, you know, was searching what tickets were available. And it, I ended up paying $5,200 for it. Wow. Getting out of Russia was extremely stressful experience. First of all, I was hurting because it's my country and I was leaving it behind. And some weird feeling I had that I, I wasn't coming back ever. Okay. Seeing everything at the very last time is it's very, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's very strange. Getting through the border, just to give you an example, five Russian men right in front of me in line to passport control were turned down and sent back. They were not allowed to leave Russia. Five men right in front of me. And I was the sixth one. They let me out. 
they grilled me with questions why I was leaving. And I mean, I'm a Russian citizen. I can leave the country anytime, right? But so I flew to Hujan and I walked with my feet <laughs> into Uzbekistan. So you walked across the border. There must have been 200 Russian men getting off the plane along with me with suitcases, backpacks. And then we were walking right next to each other. You know, there was a big line of us going to Tashkent. I made it to Tashkent and for a day or two, I still had adrenaline rush. And after each one of us who escaped Russia, we started kind of winding down. Now we are out. But what is now? What's next? Right. What to do now? You got to understand, all of us, we left our kids, our families behind. We left jobs. We left property. We left our lives. And we're here. And then what do we do next? It's a very devastating feeling. Feeling like your life is over, basically. And you don't know what to do next. As far as I understand, as far as I heard, a couple people even committed suicide here. I was crushed and devastated because I left Russia on pretty short notice 36 hours. So here you are in Tashkent with your backpack. What did you do? I was winding down by walking the streets of Tashkent, listening to music, trying not to think of anything, literally walking back and forth for eight or nine hours straight. I was just trying not to think, not to hurt, trying to keep my mind off this tragedy that was happening. And while I was walking, I noticed that there were thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of other Russian men, just like me, also just walking around, wandering aimlessly, okay? It was really easy to spot them, dressed differently. Backpacks, Russians always wore backpacks last year. The locals haven't even seen the backpacks before. <laughs> Fair skin and old people in Tashkent, dark skinned, you know, different accent in Russian, things like that. So I decided at one point to sit down and have a coffee at a local cafe. And I saw that there were a few more Russians sitting there. And I had this idea that it would be better if I would meet other Russians and try to bring them together. And uh, this is how my breakfast club was born you know i started inviting russians i started using different telegram channels different local resources saying hey i'm russian i came from russia i would like to invite you over to this cafe for breakfast so we just meet and then to make it more attractive i started offering to buy them breakfasts coffee fried eggs you know was whatever we usually eat for breakfast and uh, I had breakfast by myself for about 10 days. And then one person showed up. That was a breakthrough. Another person showed up. And then in a few days, nine people showed up. And we sat together. It was around big round table. And I remember that everyone was kind of quiet at first. But then all people started speaking all at once, spitting this pain and tragedy out. Everyone was explaining how they escaped Russia, which routes they took, you know, what's left behind. And then as we were all talking, it, we started feeling better. It's like some kind of a therapy, okay? And every single day since that day, I've been coming to breakfast, offering to buy people breakfast and feeding them and talking to them and meeting them and connecting them and helping them. And this is what happened. So that was the origin of the Tashkent International Breakfast Club. That's how it was born, yes. Every day you go. I wake up and the first thing I do, I go to our cafe, to the breakfast club and meet everyone. We sit together at the table, look at 
each other's eyes and we have breakfast and you know keep on living how many of you are there now 600 plus people in international tashkent breakfast club they are russian ukrainian uzbek jewish american austrian and german wow that's quite a group about new year i figured that what i was doing was not enough and i met a ukrainian family here in tashkent and i decided that i needed to start attempting at least to bridge russians and ukrainians together to show the world and to the ukrainians that not all russians are bloodthirsty and there are some russians who support ukraine who are against the war and have some common sense and empathy and love in their hearts and that's uh, how Russian-Ukrainian Tashkent Breakfast Club started. Ukrainians started showing up more and more. Now we have a few families from 15 to 20 Ukrainians. They attend on a regular basis. And other nationals started showing up from Israel, from the United States. Of course, we have local Uzbeks. And there are a couple groups that I also know were not organized by me. But we are in close contact. Well, basically, we're friends. And I feel like this group is evolving because we are becoming more than just a support group, more than just bridging Russian and Ukrainians. That kind of goes without saying at this point. At first, Ukrainians were showing up. I would stand up and introduce them and I would say, hey, these people came from Mariupol, these people came from Kharkov and from Ukraine. Now we don't say that because we're just friends, you know. But we're all angry because we were forced to abandon our life and we understand that our country is no more the country that we love and we are full of energy we are active okay we're smart most of us at least and we feel like we're becoming a force how many would you say are there on average every day there are two types of breakfasts we have on a weekday i would say from 10 to 15 people show up on Saturday, usually around 20-25, and on Sundays, we have a larger gathering, and usually it's a lecture. I call it a lecture. Each one of us who have left Russia is an expert at something, and we pick a topic to share, and the person just gets in front of a crowd and tells his either story or a lesson or a lecture. It's interesting to what Russia has lost in the refugee population is something we really don't think about very much. Yes. Most people who, who fled Russia are highly intellectual, highly educated professionals, doctors, engineers, accountants, tons of attorneys, but, you know, very, very educated professionals. For example, we had doctors telling us how to do emergency aid medical response. He taught us how to keep arteries clean, what to eat, what not to eat, you know, how to exercise. Then we had the mm -hmm. back doctor. He was basically telling us how to keep back health. We had a very famous writer from Russia. She had multiple books published on accounting. She's a permanent member of Tashkent Breakfast Club. She was telling us about Russian taxes, what to do, because our taxes are different now, since we're not residents of Russia anymore. There was a guy who was teaching us how to avoid poisonous spiders when we go hiking in the mountains and, and, and snakes and so all kinds of topics, you know. I was a speaker once telling how to start a YouTube channel. So basically, different kind of topics. And on Sunday, 60 plus people show up. 
Sometimes we film. We have a Telegram channel, post pictures and videos there. And uh, we did a few field trips to the nearby mountains on Sundays, just hiking for a day. That's amazing. Now, you guys network, right? Yes. We go to the same place every morning. So, and all the staff knows us. And there was a guy waiting for us. He came with wife, fairly young guy, 32 or 33. And he introduced himself. He was from Ekaterinburg, which is a city in the Urals. And he said, look, I need help. I'm looking to start in a new career of software tester. And I need your help, advice. I need all the information you can find. In our group, of course, there are tons of IT guys. And for basically 10 minutes, senior developers were telling him what he needed to do, how to land training position and so forth. So they gave him tons of information. And I asked him, why do you want to be a software tester? He said, well, I want to move to the USA or Canada. And that's the only way I know. And I said, okay, sorry to disappoint you, but most likely you won't be able to move to the USA if you're a tester. If you're a programmer, yes, but not a tester. He looked at us, said, oh, so it's a bummer. I need to come up with something else. I said, what do you do for a living? What did you do in Russia? And he said, I am a neurosurgeon. I said, what? You're a neurosurgeon? Brain surgeon. And it's like, yeah. Didn't you want to become a tester? There's something <laughs> wrong here. Did, perhaps you made a mistake back in Russia and lost your license. I said, no, no, I'm active. Perhaps you don't have any experience. He said, no, I had like thousands of hours of open brain surgery. Why in the world would you like to become a tester? So that's the only way I thought I could move to the United States, create this career for myself, get it going in about three or four years and get a green card and then come back to medicine to practice medicine. Uh, so I said, look, I'm going to get you to the USA so you can go ahead and keep on operating and helping people. And I've been trying to help him ever since. I did a couple of live streams on YouTube. Believe it or not, one of my subscribers from London wrote me email saying, hey, look, a good friend of mine is the head of a large clinic in Tashkent. And here's his contact. And your friend needs to go and talk to him. The brain surgeon went and he landed a job just like that in a few days. So he's, he's working here as a doctor. We have been trying to move him over to the United States. Most of my friends here are doctors in Uzbekistan. And when I told them the story, they did not believe me. <laughs> you know, I said, oh, you know what? You come to the breakfast club. Breakfast <laughs> is on me, you know, as usual. And you meet this guy. And they actually did. They did come and they met him and they were like, we can't believe it because <laughs> they told me how much effort and how much money it takes for a country to create a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon. Okay, right. years and tens and tens of thousands of dollars in. Ne good neurosurgeons are always, there's lack of them, there's shortage, right? This guy, he is at age when he was definitely would be drafted. Right. So basically what this guy did, he was operating someone. He stopped, went to the administration office, wrote resignation paper, and he resigned, jumped into a car with his wife. His wife is a pediatrician. And they drove for like three or four days through Kazakhstan to Uzbekistan. And he came straight to breakfast club to start looking for how to go to the United States. So my, my Uzbek friends, doctors, they said, these guys in Russia, they're losing people like that. I mean, what's Russia's future without this man that go to your breakfast club, you know? It's incredible. Uh, yeah. You've mentioned mostly men fleeing mobilization. What about women in the breakfast club? There are women. Some are single. They were not a subject of mobilization, mm -hmm. but they just couldn't stand what Russia is doing to Ukraine. Basically got up and left. 
And of course, there are tons of wives that have followed their husbands. You mentioned briefly that there were some people you know of that had taken their own lives. How is the mental health in general of your group of refugees and of you? One of the reasons I came up with this idea of getting people together, it's one thing to sit in an apartment by yourself and trying to fight this reality. And it's another thing, knowing that you're not alone, that there are people just like you in the same situation, people you can talk to. It was initial idea. And then a couple months into our exile, uh, everyone started feeling incredibly bad because in psychology, this phenomenon is called culture shock. If you leave one place for another, even in the usual circumstances, you go through culture shock. It's very painful, very depressing, stressful. And to us, it was so much worse because we knew we, we couldn't come back to Russia. We didn't much know about the future. We were just going through this incredibly hard time in November, December, January. So I invited a couple psychologists. There are even doctors of psychology among us, okay, who could help us explain what was happening to us and how to cope with it. One of the fellows at the breakfast club was so homesick, he missed his child, his wife, and his home. And he was instead, he was sitting in Tashkent and by, by himself, you know. And he described his feelings in early December last year as he wanted to hole every single night, like wolf's hole. You know, that's pretty much the feeling that we were going through. And most of us were at the same stage. Sounds terrible. How was it for you? Uh, definitely depressed, hurting. It was really bad. I found my way out in helping others, running around, organizing everyone, meeting every morning on Sundays. And then after a while, people started reaching out to me, asking, hey, I need help. I have this question. I need this kind of thing I need to do. And I started connecting people because at this point, I know over a thousand refugees because we are not the only group. There are other groups as well. For example, Russian doctors who fled, they meet IT programmers, engineers meet and so forth. And I'm like connecting them all. <laughs> they all know me. This was helping me a lot, keeping me busy. Then I have another community, which is online community, my YouTube channel called Inside Russia. And I live stream every single day. There are a few thousand regulars that come and watch and hear me every single evening. For me, it's midnight. We go into live stream chats and I converse, I answer questions. And that's a very international community from all over the world. And people send lots of prayers, lots of words of encouragement, thanks and so forth. And that helps tremendously. So offline during the daytime and online at night. And that's been keeping me sane. And of course, my family visiting me here and they finally move in permanently. That's pretty much things keeping me more or less sane. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much. We're not going to take it by Twisted Sister. Our thanks to Yulia Timoshenko. 
Visit SaintJavelin.com to see her work. And for the fascinating videos and news stories from Konstantin Samoylov, go to his YouTube channel, Inside Russia. I am Anne Levine, the host and producer of Ukraine 242 from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Editing, Ursula Rudenberg. Recording, Michael Levine. To see pictures of our guests and to access our complete library of past shows, go to ukraine242.com. Thank you for joining us. Until next week on Ukraine 242.